This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe. It's Friday. So what does that mean? It's the time to assemble the weekly news panel as I stumble over my own words on that. So let's welcome in the panelists. Today we have, as usual, Joita Gupta joining us and filling in for Michelle McQuig. It's Mike Ross. Hello, Joita. Hi, Alex. And hello again, Mike. Good to be here. Okay, so our first topic is all around the federal dental plan. The federal government unveiled details on the national dental care plan this week. The dental benefits plan, uh, plan is aimed at people with an annual household income under $90,000 who don't have access to private insurance. People over 87 will be the first cohort eligible for the plan next year. And Health Minister Mark Holland explains how the rollout will work from there. That's why we're going to be opening application in phases, starting with seniors and then people with disabilities, children under 18, and then ultimately by 2025, all eligible Canadians. And Holland lays out some of the stats behind this policy. A third of Canadians today do not have access to dental insurance through their employer. One in four have said they were unable to visit an oral health professional because it was too expensive. And the dental care plan is a pillar of the supply and confidence agreement between the Liberals and NDP. And NDP health critic Don Davies believes that this is a policy as, and it's a big step as a policy for Canada. In this minority parliament, new Democrats have once again worked constructively to achieve another healthcare breakthrough. By working in cooperative partnership with our Liberal colleagues, new Democrats have helped secure dental care for 9 million Canadians. It's no exaggeration to say that this is the biggest expansion of public health care in Canada in many generations. And with that expansion, this plan is set to cost $13 billion over the next five years. Joita, this was your topic that you pitched. So what aspects of this story did you want to brush up on? Well, as you said, it is uh, addressing both a long-standing gap in our healthcare system and a key feature of the confidence and supply agreement between the NDP and Liberals. Both issues are ones that we have talked about in some detail on the panel before. But I think it's worthwhile digging deep into some of the details of the plan to get a sense of how everyone feels about the plan in general, and also to then examine any potential gaps. But I think the million dollar question is with a federal election now maybe less than two years away, who will be the winners and losers politically? What will this mean for the political fortunes of certainly the pro uh, progressive conservatives, but also the liberals and the NDP? At least the liberals aren't doing as well as they, I think they'd like in the polls. Is this going to be the, you know, what puts the wind back in their sails? So there's so many layers to uncover in the story. Um, but I think it, it is worthwhile to perhaps start by thinking through some of the um, the the details of the plan. I mean, they have thought about a lot, but again, it's also worth thinking about whether they left something off the table. 
Yeah, exactly. So let's start with the plan itself. So, Mike, what do you think of the, the plan overall? Well, first of all, uh, as a resident and voter in Ajax, Ontario, I was proud to see my MP, the Health Minister, Mark Holland, making that announcement. But, um, you know, as as you will know, Alex, and certainly Joita will know, uh, I often wear the hat of the cynic. And there, you know, Joita said off the top there that it addresses a, a certain gap um, in the healthcare system, and it does. <clears throat> but I also think that there, the devil is in the details here. And what... What kind of coverage, what quality of coverage are people going to get? And I just want to draw on, on a personal um, anecdote of, of an experience of my own dealing with healthcare provided in a private insurance setting versus if I went public. So I had a very minor uh, foot surgery a few years back. And the, the doctor, the chiropodist who was doing it explained to me that you know, if you have insurance, which I thankfully did, the 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 operation or the the surgery, the procedure would be much less painful and would be much more thorough than if I went and had the same procedure done at a hospital through the public system. The public system and, and the, I guess the the guidelines that they follow for that particular procedure meant that it was a different approach to the surgery. There were certain um, ways of doing the surgery that would be less invasive and would mean a, a quicker healing process if I went with the private insurance versus going public system. It's just sort of a scaled down basic rudimentary surgery to take care of your problem. If it's in the public system, it's cheaper to do. So I wonder when it comes to dental work and what's included in this plan, what are we really getting? Or what are people who are going to be qualifying for this type of dental work? What kind of service are they getting? And are they having to endure more pain simply because it's a government-provided service and, and it paid for by the government versus private insurance? Because I know that in that one instance where I dealt with private versus public, the private was going was much less invasive, much less painful, and was just a quicker healing process. And and I was quite thankful that because of my wife having benefits, I was able to partake in that. And and I think that's a very good point, Mike. Especially when you start to explore oral surgeries, which is in uh, a part of this dental plan and part of the coverage. I think on the kind of the smaller scale of things like the dental cleanings and dental works, I, I don't see that as necessarily having that much of a change in gap because you're still going to the same dentist, you're still going through the same locations. It's not like you're gonna go to a hospital versus a, a dental office for those types of factors. But when you do ex get into oral surgeries or, or work that needs to be done that is gonna be a bit more invasive, do those procedures get split in between a uh, private versus a public kind of forum and options available because that's the same thing like for when I went for a cataract surgery. But uh, Joita, for you, what are some of the maybe the, the gaps and concerns or are there other thoughts you have on the program overall? Well, before we get into the gaps and concerns, I think it is worth noting a few things. The first is that it's not 
really a universal coverage in the sense mm -hmm. of uh, universal Medicare that we have in Canada. So there are no means tests to go see a family doctor, for instance. I mean, you, you have a handful of private family physicians and things like that, but it's hard to get an exemption from the public health system in Canada. So yes, they exist, but they are few and far between. Um, here you've got a situation where you have to have dentists uh, agree to register or be recruited into the program. And so not everybody is necessarily going to accept this public form of, of dental care. But beyond that, I mean, the people who are the first recipients are seniors over the age of 87. And I have to say, for starters, that's not a bad thing. Even if it means that not all seniors are getting it right away, by the time 2025 rolls around, coincidentally in time for the next election, uh, most seniors, indeed most eligible Canadians will get it. And 9 million people, though not everybody, is not an insubstantial about. I think it's about 25% of our population that would now have access to healthcare. We can certainly examine some of those gaps. And it covers a, a wide range of procedures, ranging from cosmetic procedures, things like cleaning and polishing, right through to things like crowns and, and fillings uh, and, and getting into things like extractions and uh, and uh, other types of oral surgeries. So it really does cover a wide range of procedures uh, when it comes to dental care in, in particular. Uh, but again, there are a number of, of issues that, that are not being adequately addressed in the plan, though at first blush, it does appear to be quite comprehensive, having covered a wide range of dental procedures. And certainly, as you pointed out, Alex, when it comes to things like cleaning and polishing and preventative um, preventative dental work, which I am a big proponent of, uh, if you can get a cleaning every three to six months, it's a good way to try and catch dental problems before they get out of hand. So the fact that a lot of people will have access to preventative dental care that maybe they wouldn't have been able to afford before is nothing to sneeze at either. So mm -hmm. it's not a bad start. But what underpins a lot of my concerns is that it's really not truly universal in the sense yeah. that not everybody across the board gets it. And what are the implications of something not being truly universal, I think, is where a lot of my concerns around the gaps and limitations stem from. Well, and as, as uh, you said, you know, this is uh, 9 million people, as, as uh, they had uh, stated, will fall under this plan, will have access to it. And in, in one of the clips we played off the start, they said about a third of Canadians just don't have adequate access. So there is still that slight gap of there's millions of people who kind of fall in between the coverage and having their, their own coverage that are kind of uh, left out of this uh, purview. Maybe there is room for expansion down the road to see how this works well. But another thing uh, you, you mentioned, Juita, I thought I wanted to pick up on was the rollout of this plan. As you said, like they're starting with uh, with seniors in, in their 80s first, but then as um, uh, the health minister uh, mentioned, the next wave includes folks with disabilities. Do you see that as like a, a big kind of step forward in the recognition of taking a needs-based approach and rollout to this plan? Yes, no, it is, it is. I mean, I'm not going to scoff at that at all. I think it is an important uh, improvement on our existing healthcare system. Uh, again, bearing in mind that a lot of people with disabilities uh, don't have adequate employment, uh, including benefits. I mean, one of the things we should point out is that if you do have a, a, a dental plan, let's say from an employer, then you don't get to access the public uh, benefits, even if you would be otherwise eligible. But for those who are not, 
uh, able to enroll in an employer-sponsored health and dental plan, then this is your safety net. So yes, the fact that seniors are being covered is hugely important because by the time you're a senior in your, let's say, late 80s, uh, you do start to have extensive dent uh, problem, dental problems. You may be in need of dentures, which I know from having dealt with an elderly relative can run you thousands of dollars. They're not cheap. Um, but seniors are not likely to have uh, an employer-sponsored, you know, dental plan. Maybe you had one when you were at work, but few employment-sponsored health and dental plans continue after the person has retired. I mean, some probably do, but not everybody. So that's not universal. And then when you get into things like uh, the Trillium Health Benefit in Ontario, then there are tests around income. So not every senior gets that either. So it can it it does meet a very important need for for the elderly and for seniors, uh, but it's not it's not a panacea. I mean, I think we can acknowledge that uh, the fact that you know we're looking at this ninety thousand um, dollar in eligibility criteria. Sure, ninety thousand dollars household income sounds like a lot, but I mean, the way things are going, you could have a couple, each of whom makes a salary of, let's say, 50000 apiece. So that brings their income to 100000 And you could live in a place like Toronto or Vancouver and find that you're still struggling. You're still middle class. Maybe you're sort of lower middle class even. And so we, we have to really ask ourselves about that 90000 number. Is that going to still make sense five years down the line, 10 years down the line, mm -hmm. given that we've had some very disturbing conversations about cost of living and the fact that those costs, be it around housing or the price of groceries or the price of gas, none of that is going down. In fact, it's just climbing up and up and up. So are they going to revisit that 90000 figure or is that going to be static five, six years down the road. And the other big gap that I have is, as I said, it does impact 9 million Canadians, about 25% of the population. But fast forward to 2025, if we get a progressive conservative government in there, then because it's not universal in the sense that it applies to everybody across the board, you run the risk that someone is going to turn around and say, you know what, it costs $13 billion and it only helps a handful of people, we can get rid of it. It becomes easier to get rid of a program because it's not universal, because it doesn't apply to everybody. And that makes the program vulnerable. So those are just some of the gaps. I have other concerns as well, but mm -hmm. I don't want to talk too much. So there you go. <laughs> You've been left out think... quite a few there, Joita. And, and Mike, I did hear you uh, kind of chime in with a green on some of Juita's points, yeah. so uh, absolutely, I, I think you know this. This is a, a good rollout from a bureaucratic standpoint, because if you were to roll it out for you know everybody or a, a huge portion of the population, we've seen that this government and previous governments, we don't have the bureaucratic setup to roll out massive programs. Mm -hmm. They're overwhelmed. Right. Talk to anybody who works for the federal government about the Phoenix pay system that they're still dealing with. I mean, <laughs> Joey, you and I talked about that years ago on Live from Studio <laughs> yeah. 5. We were talking Phoenix pay system and people are still you know, working their way through that. The government, in many instances, is not set up or not prepared to to set up and, and, and roll out these programs. So taking it and applying it to the most vulnerable or the most uh, in need is so important. And when you talked, Juita, about you know people with disabilities, seniors, people whose employment numbers are generally lower, um, guess what comes with that, right? It's that cost of living that Juita talked about. And when you hear about people saying, well, I have to choose between 
you know, heating my home on a regular basis or buying groceries. Well, guess what else sort of takes a back seat? Dental work. That's mm-hmm. that's always been, right? I know a lot of people who say, I haven't been to the dentist in, in 10 years because I just can't afford it. I don't have insurance and I have other things that I have to put my money towards. Mm-hmm. Problem is, for many people, well, for all of us really, it's not just your teeth. Your dental health has a major impact on many other parts of mm-hmm. your overall health. So when when that dental and oral health starts to falter, then you start developing other issues. It can be blood issues. It can be cardiac. There are all kinds of things that can pop up if you don't have good oral health care. So I think it's really important that it does get sort of rolled out to the people who are, are really up against it financially uh, in in many situations and certainly more than uh, a majority of Canadians. And, and I think it's a smart thing to roll it out if I can say a little bit at a time to those who are most in need and, and then hopefully at some point get it rolled out to um, a majority, if not all Canadians, but universality we'll see down the road. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's such an important part of everyone's overall health that I'm glad to see that they're being pretty smart about how they're rolling it out. They're not going to, it won't be a system that's going to be overwhelmed uh, at least not based on what we've seen with other government rollouts. And uh, quickly, Mike, I want to uh, give you one last chance to respond on this topic and, and to a point that Juita t- uh, touched on at the end there about how this plan and rollout may impact the next federal election. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I mean, for the Liberals, it's an easy win. Um, you know, how they're going to sell it is is going to be interesting to see. For the NDP... You know, I'm, I'm, I love the fact that they forced the government's hand on this. And mm-hmm. the government can stand there and, and, and say, you know, we, we rolled this out, we rolled this out. You only rolled it out because you got pushed right to the precipice and your hold on power was threatened. Uh, and, and, and the NDP pushed the envelope and good for them. Sadly, though, you know, other than when Jack Layton was the leader of that party, I just don't see this being... The, the be all and end all that pushes them across the line. And you, we can have a whole conversation about the party system in this country and how it, it affects each and every party and their ability to ever form, you know, the opposition, let alone government. Um, I think it might win a few more votes for the NDP, but the way our system is set up, I just don't see it winning them enough seats mm-hmm. to really make a big jump forward. But, I think it does speak to how important the NDP has been, especially in this parliament, for pushing that agenda forward, because without them, it doesn't happen. Absolutely. Joina, last word on this topic goes to you. Well, a few things, uh, if you don't mind. The first is, I, I do think this is an easy win for the Liberals to spin. As to the NDP, I think it does put them in the position of not having to continue to support the confidence and supply agreement because the rollout has not taken place fully. Um, and they don't want to be in a situation where they withdraw support uh, from the Liberal government 
uh, you know, pursue a, a motion for non-confidence and trigger an election before that rollout has fully happened. So I think it does put ND the NDP in a position where if they want to see this come to fruition by 2025, they have got to stay the course. I'd be very interested to see how the PC party handles this, uh, because even if someone, a potential voter, did not go in voting for dental care, and if they get a taste of it, I suspect they'd be very hesitant to see it go. So it'd be very interesting to see how the PC is known for, you know, belt tightening and, and not wanting to spend oodles of money. That's kind of a gross oversimplica oversimplification of their thinking, you know, smaller government and not being all, all that involved. I'd be very interested to see how they actually spin the the this 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 latest addition to um, our healthcare system in the lead up to the next election. Uh, the one last thing I'll say about this, and we, I, I had intended to bring it up during our discussion around the gaps, and I think it's an important thing to note, is that I don't think a lot of indigenous or remote communities will benefit from this, this expansion to dental care. Why? Because the, the services simply don't exist. And I think that's a huge gap in that we've talked about how there's a shortage of doctors and medical professionals in many indigenous communities and rural communities across Canada, and you can't conjure more dentists. And you can't Absolutely. conjure more orthodontists and things like that. So there is also that bigger question that needs to be asked. Well, if you're going to roll out this program, do you actually have the manpower to back it up? And if you don't, what does that mean for rural Canadians? What does that mean for Indigenous can Canadians? Because more money isn't always the answer if you don't have the staff to back it up. And Joita, this is why you're a pro, because you perfectly teased into the next topic, because coming up after the break, we focus in on the Indigenous communities and specifically around the new bill to create clean water standards within Indigenous communities. You're watching the Now News panel on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.